Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. I don't know about you, this happens to me uh, when I run. I tend to have this default setting of looking down. Does anybody like when they run, they, look, they, they tend to feel like they look down a lot? No? Yeah? Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. So I'm not alone. I kind of feel like that. And every time I'm running, it's like I, I always catch myself with this default mode of looking down. And then I realize, like, oh, there's people in front of me or there's something going on or whatever. And especially when I'm running in the park or something. And then and I, it's something that I always try and catch. And then about, you know, three minutes later, I'm like, okay, I got to keep my head up. I got to keep my head up. I got to look up. And it's such an important piece. And I don't know what it is about, I don't know if you feel this. For me, it just feels easier to kind of let my head down. Like it takes more energy to keep it up, something like that. I don't know what it is. Now, the worst thing, don't tell my wife this story, but this happened to me while I was riding a bike. And uh, I like to ride my bike, and, and I like to go around Il Bazaar. And you, if you do Il Bazaar enough times, it's like you can ride it like with your eyes closed. Again, don't tell my wife, even though she's sitting there, because she thinks every time I leave the house, I won't come back when I take my bike. You guys were here a couple of weeks ago when Natalia was on my left side, and I didn't see her. This is one of the issues that my wife is worried about when I ride my bike on real streets with people and cars and stuff like that. So, uh, so I was riding my bike, and I got a phone call. It wasn't a really important phone call. I had an earpiece on. I didn't need notes. It wasn't a meeting. It was casual. And I started chatting. And it's this long strip in Il Bazaar on the, I think, like west side of the island and where like no one's ever there. So I'm just kind of riding, riding, riding. And then I look up and I see somebody and I just make a quick turn. And I remember telling the person on the phone, oh, oh man, that was close. And I just kept riding, never thought about it. Three weeks later, I'm in this, I'm in this Zoom call meeting with someone who leads an organization in the city. And uh, myself and Kelly are part of the meeting. And this person says, hey, before we start, I just want to tell a story, tell you guys something that happened. I said, what? My husband, three weeks ago, was running in no bazaar. <laughs> and, and he's running in the bazaar. And then and, uh, he said, he's telling me this story. He's like, I'm running 100 yards away. There's this cyclist. And they're looking down. And they're not looking. I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay, let me just keep running, you know, 80 yards, 50 yards. And then last minute, the cyclist just turns and doesn't hit me. And she said, and then he said, oh my gosh, that's Dave Manifold on the bike. <laughs> and I'm like, why do I look down so often? Anyways, honey, my wife's here. Don't worry. I'm okay. Everything's good. This is a problem when you're running or riding a bike. But it's a bigger problem, not for health reasons, for other reasons, in I think the concept of our lives. We get overwhelmed by details, we look down. We get overwhelmed, cl- clouded by distractions, we look down. We get lost in despair, we look down. And I'm going to say something that's not very, doesn't sound very theological, but I think the simplest description of a Christian is someone who looks up. The simplest description of a Christian is someone who looks up. Someone who's discovered something bigger than themselves. Someone whose life is rooted in something beyond themselves. Someone who knows that there is someone above them. When a Roman soldier came seeking for Jesus, we read this in the Gospels, and this soldier was called Nicodemus. When he comes seeking for Jesus and looking for what Jesus is talking about, Jesus responds to him and says, you must be born again. And the literal word there is, you must be born from above. You must be born from above. 
It's like the very act of putting one's faith in Christ leads us to look up and not down. The, the spiritual practice that I want to talk about in the next few weeks and is, this, is the spiritual practice of worship. Last couple of years, we, we did a focus on prayer, and then last year on Scripture. And this, this year, this mid-fall, we want to just focus on worship for a few weeks in this new series we're calling Looking Up. And it's such an important practice. The practice of worship, for me personally, has been um, one key practice in my spiritual journey that has been so um, fulfilling um, deepening, um, a practice that has helped me connect to the Lord and be present with the Lord, uh, a practice that has helped me see beyond myself, not just looking at myself. The idea of worship, and we'll unpack this more in the next few weeks, but here's a simple idea. Worship is just giving worth to something. Worship is giving worth to something. In fact, you and I worship a bunch of things, unfortunately, because we give worth to it, we look to it for meaning and purpose. Worship is recognizing the worth of something and then aligning yourself to it. Now, we would love to say that we align ourselves to great things, but if we look at our lives, we probably align ourselves to things that aren't really primary, and what we're doing is we're worshiping those things, allowing our, aligning ourselves to them. Worship is finding meaning from something, framing your life around something, attributing worth to that thing. See, whatever we look up towards, whatever we look up to is what we worship. And the Scriptures, the story that we find in the Scriptures told to us of who we are, who God is, who Christ is, a constant theme in the Scriptures is this theme of worship. We see it in the life of Israel when God forms this people and shapes this people and he instructs them in certain worship practices to help shape them and guide them and not, not necessarily just to become a certain people but to recognize who God is. We see that all throughout the Old Testament. We see that embodied in the life of the church in the New Testament. The church would gather together weekly, sometimes daily, practice things like breaking bread and, and pouring wine because they were being shaped in the life and story of Jesus. That was part of their worship. And they sang hymns and songs and spiritual songs and, and learned with one another. Worship was embodied in the life of the church. Worship is embodied, and we, we look towards the future because the future has worship in it. When we look at the new creation, when we look at how the story of, of God comes to an end in the Scriptures, which is really a new beginning and new creation, worship is all in the end of the story or the new creation. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan, there's this, there's this moment, one of, the, one of the temptations, there's three temptations in that story in Matthew chapter 3, and one of the, the temptations is, is Satan coming to Jesus and saying, hey, just stand on top of this hill and look at the world. Look at the kingdoms of this world. And Satan says, hey, you can have all of this. You can have all of this if you worship me. That's one of the temptations that Jesus faces in the wilderness. And what Jesus does in that moment is he lets Satan know who he worships. He reaches back into the Old Testament story, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13, and he responds and says, it's already been said, worship the Lord your God only and serve him only. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It's like when Jesus says, when Satan says to Jesus, hey, Jesus, you can have all of this if you worship me. You can have it all. Jesus looks up. Jesus 
says, no, no, no. I have a different uh, direction for my worship, and that's only God. And while the, the idea of Jesus being God slowly emerges in the Gospels, um, and after the resurrection, it becomes very prominent, and we see it in the New Testament writings, that the church begins to see Jesus as equal to God in their worship. In fact, Paul tells us in Colossians, he says that Jesus is the exact representation of God, the exact representation of God, that all the fullness of God rests in Christ. And so we see the church starting to look up to Jesus in their worship. Of course, they haven't stopped worshiping God because the idea and understanding of the Trinity starts to get shaped in the, in, the, in the New Testament Scriptures and gets affirmed throughout the centuries that we worship God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But here, in, as the church starts to develop, we see the church looking up to Jesus at, for the attention of their worship. And there's, there's one passage I want to read. It's, it's in Ephesians chapter, chapter 1. And I know we've been in Ephesians for our last series, but this, this, these three or four verses, the verses are, are really helpful for us. And so here's Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20. If you've got your Bibles, feel free to turn to it or just follow on the screen. And here's Paul praying for this church and then highlighting the power that's available as the Holy Spirit is present for these, these Christ followers. And then he says this specifically about this power. He says in verse 20, God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Okay, before we go further, we just worshiped right now. This, this was an act of worship. This was a worship practice reading the scriptures like this. And in fact, Paul writing to this church and helping them tie into who Jesus is is also an act of worship. So what we just did now is worship. We didn't, we didn't just worship when we sang. We don't just worship when we pray. We don't just worship when we, you know, pause and are quiet before the Lord or maybe celebrated before the Lord. We just worshiped right now reading the Scriptures. Now, I, I want you to notice some language here that's really helpful. Did you, did you see how, how often Paul points to, like, how Jesus is above, how Jesus is on top, how Jesus is above us? So verse, just verse by verse, and we won't go crazy deep into each, but listen to this. God put, here's the first verse, God put this power to work in Christ when he, what's the word? Man, you guys are, come on, let's go for it. As he what? Raised him from the dead. It's that first indication, first language that's saying, oh, there's something unique about Jesus. He's been raised from the dead, and as a result, he seated him, at his right hand in heavenly places. Now, that's heavenly is metaphorically above, but heavenly is basically God's space, not just our space. God's realm, not just our realm. They exist on the same, at the same time, but they, we don't see that realm. But at the ascension, where we read in Acts, where Jesus ascends into heaven, he's going into God's space, and this is powerful. Christ was raised from the dead, and he was seated at the right hand in the heavenly places. That's that verse. The next verse, 
Far what? What's the word that, that Paul uses? Far above. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Now, this is really like those four words, rule, authority, power, dominion, those are big words. Because those are words that Paul is saying, the rule and authority and power and dominion that exists in the world, that, 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 that makes the world function, that even Satan said, you know, as, as in, in a sense like he's the, the ruler of the air or where he even goes to Jesus and says, I'll give you all these things. There's something that's going on that we, you know, Paul says we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against powers and authorities and principalities. And, and I'm not talking about necessarily um, just, you know, the kind of, of, of spiritual warfare or, you know, maybe demonic realm that we can sometimes understand from the Scriptures. I'm talking about just how the world functions, the rule and dominion and power, how economics works and how culture works and how, how, uh, how, 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 how politics works, how materialism works, how militarism works. These are rules and authorities and powers and dominion. Paul says Jesus is far above the rule and power and dominion and authority. And then he says it again. And what? What's the word? Is it still up there? Sorry. Above. Sorry, guys. I put you in a bad corner. You know, I asked you to say something that wasn't on the screen. Far above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Every name that is named. Imagine you're a first century Christian. The church is very small in the city of Ephesus, very small in the Roman world. The Roman emperor is huge, big name, and other big names, and maybe even names of, of, of um, religious temples in the region. And Paul says, Jesus is far above every name. Not only in this age, but into the next age, into new creation. And verse 22, and he has put all things, and here's that word, under his feet, and has made him head over all things for the church. So now Jesus sits here, and all things are under his feet. And God has made him head over all things for the church, us. Jesus is our leader. Jesus is our pastor. Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is our master. So Paul is helping us understand here as he writes to this Ephesian church who Jesus is and how high he is and why. And, and how this is an expression of the church's worship to Jesus. Paul leans into two psalms to show us how Christ becomes the object of worship, similar to how Israel worshiped God, right? So he, he says that he's been placed at the right hand in heavenly places. Well, he's pulling this from Psalms 110, which the letter of Hebrews also unpacks, where in Psalms 110 it says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. And over time, we've come to see this psalm as a messianic psalm, a psalm that points us a clue to who Jesus is and will be. Psalm 8, verse 6, here's another line. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under their feet. This is also seen as a messianic sign, as a messianic psalm. This psalm that points to the Messiah, that points to who Jesus would be. And to say this, now this is interesting because this psalm actually talks about humanity and how humanity will also have dominion over the works of, of God's hands because we're, you know, we've been given stewardship in the world. But Jesus is the ultimate human. Jesus is the ultimate human. 
Jesus is the best representation of an image bearer of God that we have. And all things will be put under his feet ultimately. We just get to steward that as human beings. So here's the big idea here. Jesus is in the throne room of God. His enthronement, his ascension makes him part of this divine throne room. Jesus is included in the activity and power and rule of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But the church and their worship often points to Jesus because Jesus is equal to God. So to worship Jesus is to look up, not look down, but to look up. To worship Jesus is to look up. Isaiah makes this connection in the prophets. And uh, I want to just help us see this for a second. Here's Isaiah chapter 6 and then Isaiah chapter 62. So Isaiah 6 says this. And here's, here's a beautiful passage. Um, in fact, there's a song that was written about it, and I've just been singing it all day, and I was almost going to, like, kind of sing it a cappella here, but I won't do that, okay? Sounds cool. Uh, maybe I'll, like, post the video or something. But here, here's, here's this phrase. Isaiah sees something beautiful in God's space. God lets him see something. And listen to what he says. In the sixth year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. High and lofty. I want you to remember those words. High and lofty. And the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs, these, these creatures, seraphs were in attendance above him. And each had six wings. With two they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they flew. And one called to one another. So if you imagine these creatures, they're all kind of calling to each other. They're all talking to each other, kind of like when we sing together, we're singing to one another. We sing hymns and songs and spiritual songs to each other. These creatures are constantly saying this refrain over and over again to each other in God's space, and they're saying these words, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Then the pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, and so Isaiah is saying, I said, woe is me. I'm lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah gets this picture, this glimpse, this moment to see something that just transforms him. In fact, when he sees this, when he understands what's going on and the kind of worship lifting up to God, he's just, he's broken. It just, it's like a light shines on his heart and on his mind. It's like, oh my gosh, I see who I really am. I see my sin I see my brokenness, I see my rebellion, and I see my unclean lips and the unclean lips of my people. And this happens because he sees God high and lifted up. Now, Isaiah tells us something later on in, in chapter 52, because there's a whole bunch of chapters at the end of Isaiah that point to the Messiah, 
point to the coming Messiah. And so in Isaiah 52, verse 13, as he begins to speak about this servant, this suffering servant, the Messiah who would come in this description, listen to what he says. Verse 13, he says, See, my servant shall prosper, and he shall be exalted and lifted up. Remember the words? First, it said exalted and lofty. Maybe in your version of the Bible, it says exalted and lifted up, or high and lifted up, or high and exalted. But here's the same phrase. He shall be, the suffering servant, he shall be exalted and lifted up and shall be very high. We see this connection, the worship of God, the worship of Jesus together. Jesus becomes the object of our worship. We look up in worship to him. And so when we think about the practice of worship, first and foremost, it's us looking up. The practice of worship is so vital. The, 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 the posture, the direction of us looking upwards in, in our prayer, in our reading of Scripture, in our singing, in our songs, in our conversations is so vital because here's, here's this, this key thing. The practice of worship shapes what you think and shapes what I think about God. When we worship, just like we're reading Scripture or singing a song or praying with one another or encouraging one another, we are shaping what we think. That shapes what we think about God. Our worship shapes what we think about God. Richard Foster, who wrote a great book on spiritual disciplines, he says this. He says, to think rightly about God is to have everything right. To think wrongly about God is to have everything wrong. Because what we think about God is so vital. And so if our worship, if, if, the, if the content of our worship, which we'll talk about in subsequent weeks, if the content of our worship doesn't help us think rightly about God, then we're off. If the songs we sing or the prayers we pray or the, the way we allow Scripture to shape us doesn't allow us to think rightly about God, then we're off. We're off. You can be in such a beautiful moment emotionally, but not being shaped to think rightly about God. That doesn't help you. That's not, that doesn't help you. You can have the most fervent prayer and pray wrongly. There's a, a, an author, her name is Lauren Winner, and she, she writes a book on how certain religious practices were deformed, the deformation of religious practices. And she quotes some prayers of slave owners praying for their slaves, and you read the prayer and you're like, that's, that's not a, that's not a, I don't think God really wants you to pray that. Because she was, the slave owner was just praying that the slaves would, you know, respect her and do good and get their work done and not make a fuss and not cause problems and not embarrass them in front of other people. You're reading this prayer, you're like, no, that's, that, that's not the kind of prayer that really shapes us, shapes our mind in the, in the way of the Lord. It's just not. You could pray and not be praying the things that shape your mind and heart to think rightly about God. I don't know, maybe you pray for stuff and it's like an exuberant thing and I wonder sometimes like, is that prayer telling me more about who God is or more about who I am? Maybe it's telling me more about who I am and less about who God is. Here's what Foster says next. He says, we desperately need to see God for who he is. To read about his self-disclosure to, to his ancient people Israel. 
to meditate on his attributes and to gaze upon the revelation of his nature in Jesus Christ. This is so important that our worship helps us see who God is. And as we write Ephesians 1 and Isaiah 6 and Isaiah 52, what it says about Jesus are these, these few things, and we're not gonna, I'm not going to unpack them. I'm just going to list them. It tells us a few things. It tells us that Jesus is God, right? He's the exact representation of God. All the fullness of God rests in him. When we worship and understand Jesus in this way, it tells us Jesus is God. It tells us Jesus is King and Lord. And these few texts tell us that Jesus is victor over the powers. He rules above the power and authorities and dominion. Jesus is God. Jesus is king. Jesus is victor. When we come to dis discover this about Jesus, our worship starts, starts to get shaped in a completely new way. Because now we recognize we're looking up. We're looking up. When we worship Jesus, we're looking up and we start getting the right perspective of who God is. Like Isaiah, if our worship humbles us, we're on the right track. If our worship exposes what's going on in our hearts, we're on the right track. If our worship causes us to bow down, lit literally, literally bow down, or with our hearts, our minds, our lives, we're on the right track. The early church gathered around the worship of Jesus to learn, to listen, and to follow him when they declared in their small pockets and through their lives that Jesus is Lord, they were saying no one else is. No one else is Lord. His name is above every other name. And while we're going to look at forms of worship the next few weeks, if worship is looking up at Jesus, is looking up at God, then first it's about getting the right perspective of who he is. Getting the right perspective of who he is. And, and I want you to know, you can, you can worship while you're worshiping when you read Scripture. You're worshiping when you sing a song that reminds you of the fullness of who Jesus is. You worship when you pray the Psalms. When you pray the Lord's Prayer, when, when you pray prayers in the New Testament like we just read, or prayers from Ephesians 3 or Colossians 1 or other pieces of that, you, you worship, we worship when we pray these psalms, these, these prayers, these hymns. You, know, you worship when you share your story of Jesus to someone else. You're worshiping because as you share your story, your journey of Christ with someone else, that's shaping your mind and your heart again in the way of Christ. You worship when you participate in communion. When we break bread, when we pour wine, when we, when we remember the death of Christ and we remember the blood of Christ, when we do that, we're, actually, we're worshiping. It's part of our worship. When you dwell on your hope for eternity in new creation, you're worshiping because you're dwelling your mind and your heart on the story of God. So the practice of worship keeps us looking up at God, at Christ, the Holy Spirit, at His attributes, His power, His vision for life, at His love, at His holiness, at His beauty, at the cross, at the resurrection, at the ascension. The practice of worship keeps us looking up and looking at all those pieces of who God is. Now, to help make sense of this for you today and tomorrow, 
Like one of the reasons we need the practice of worship is because there's countless things that attempt to drag our eyes down. Now, like when I told you when I was running and I just kind of like my default mode sometimes, I always catch myself, Dave, look up, look up. I don't know what it is. Maybe like your default and our default as humans is to just, is to look down. Maybe that's part of it. And that's one of the reasons why worship is so important. But there's things beyond our default that also drag us to work, to look down. There's fears that some of you and I are dealing with that cause us to look down and not up. There's struggles or crises you're going through that cause you to look down and not look up. The, the, the last 18 months that we've been in through this global pandemic has made many of us look down and not up. And we're allowing the circumstance and the crisis and some of the issues and very important issues we need to deal with and attend to, but often just forcing us to look down. You know, for some of us, our success forces is causing us, it drags our eyes down. Because we're looking at the success, we're looking at what I'm going to get out of this, and we're not looking at Christ. For some of us, our, our, our ambition, which maybe, an ambition isn't all bad. It, there's, there's good ambition and there's selfish ambition. But a self-absorbed ambition causes us to look down because it's only about me. It's only what I'm going to get from this. Something we don't often, we don't talk about enough, but sin drags our eyes down. Our own sin, our own rebellion our own decision acted out to live contrary to like the way God calls us to live, that drags us to look down. Your control, my pride, your, your pride, the way humans want to control, that makes us look down. Materialism draws us down. When this object becomes the thing for me that I value and I cherish, I'm looking down, not up. When consumerism is... I'm looking down, not up. See, all these things make us more self-absorbed and drag our eyes downward. And, uh, I mean, I was lucky that day that I didn't hit Dave Tracy riding my bike. I was really fortunate, and so was he. But I felt more fortunate because I would have been like, oh, my gosh. I just, like, I don't know. Who knows what would have happened? <laughs> but that's the, that's the problem with looking down. And... That kind of, like, incident or, like, um, the, the outwork of what would have happened physically that day is maybe some of the outwork that happens metaphorically or spiritually or relationally in our own lives. Looking down is dangerous. Looking down makes us unaware. Looking down makes us non-responsive. Looking down is hurtful to ourselves and to others. But when we worship, when we look up, changes. See, when we worship, when I worship, I become less afraid of what others think of me. Not arrogant, not who cares what they think, but less worried about what people think. When I worship, I'm less afraid of what other people think because I'm reminded about what Christ has done for me. And I'm reminded of the identity he gives me. I become less concerned with the authorities and powers of our world, as evil as they might be, as much traction as they might get. Even when I read something in the news or I see something in my life or I see what's going on in society or culture, I become less concerned with the authorities and powers because I'm reminded that Jesus already has dominion over them and he will rule 
One day he'll rule without obstacle. Now he still rules over all things, and one day we'll reign with him. I become less concerned about the kingdoms of this world, as powerful as they might be, the economic and material and political kingdoms of this world, because I'm reminded that Jesus is king. They're not king. Jesus is king. I become less concerned when the media drops a name that either causes me to worry, oh my gosh, is, did they do this? Or causes me to like envy, oh, I wish I was like them. Become less concerned with those things because I'm reminded that his name is above every name in this age and the next. So worship allows God to shape what we think of him and, our, and, our, and others and ourselves we worship, it doesn't only give us a right perspective of who God is. It gives us a right perspective of who we are and who others are around us. And I'll end with this. Even death is seen differently in wor with worship. Because when you're looking up, when your life and the practice of worship keeps you focused on who God is and honoring Him and lifting Him up and understanding His worth, his beauty, his majesty, his power, his strength, his vision. Even death is seen differently. I remember over 15 years ago when, when my dad was fighting a battle with cancer, about three, four weeks before he passed away, it was the last conversation we had with him that was kind of more normal. He was in a wheelchair, so he was able to sit. We had it helped him in the living room, and there was a few of us sitting, sitting together, and he was there, and we were in conversation with him, and it would be the last time that we would sit normally with my dad, the last time that we would see him in a, in a, a position that would, felt more normal. And someone mentioned to my dad that so many people around the world that he knew, because he had traveled and taught and helped churches and other things and so many people were praying for him just praying for his well-being praying for his healing obviously praying for him and i remember my dad said he's, he kind of described it this way he says i don't understand or know if god will heal me now god and now he wasn't saying i don't believe god will heal me because my dad saw so many beautiful incredible things the lord had done in his life and others including physical healings but he said, I, I don't understand or know if God will heal me. But then he pulled this phrase out of Psalm 103. That was a popular song at the time in churches. And he just simply kind of said it or sang it. And it's really this. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. And it was... He turned to worship in that moment. He turned to worship. I know what my dad was doing. He was looking up. He was looking up. He was worshiping his Lord, his King, his Savior, his God, and as he often described it, his friend. He was worshiping with his lips, with his mouth, with his heart, with his mind, with his soul. He was looking to Jesus, the Jesus who was raised from the dead, the Jesus who was seated at heavenly places, the Jesus who is above all rulers and powers, the Jesus who, who all things are under his feet, Jesus who my dad would describe as his friend, but also reverently his Lord. See, and because he was looking up, he wasn't looking down. 
Because he was looking up, Jesus was clear in his view. He knew he was coming to the end. He knew death was on the horizon. He knew that if nothing changes, and in fact, three weeks later, he passed away. But he passed away looking up. See, this is the fir- one of the first postures of our worship. However we talk about this in the next few weeks and some of the content and practices, the first posture of our worship is looking up. Looking up. And that's what I want to call us to do in our worship. Recognize who Jesus is. Be immersed in allowing worship, right worship, to, to give us the right perspective of who God is. I want to pray, but I want to ask you to do something this week. Super simple. Super simple. You know, some of you have like a Bible reading plan or read this Bible scripture a couple of times a week. Maybe, maybe you have some prayer times. Maybe, there's, maybe you're meeting with a prayer group or you're meeting with a community group. Um, maybe there's some, some uh, songs you listen to, worship songs. Now, apparently these days, there's like a Montreal, you know, radio station, you know. Um, okay, what I'm going to tell you, don't do in the car, okay? But I'll just, just anywhere else but the car while you're driving. Sounds good. Whatever you're doing, whether it's, it's scripture, prayer, in a group of prayer, um, listening to a song, would you, would you try practicing, practicing this? Would you look up? Like literally just look up. So it's like you're reading the scriptures and you kind of constantly have your position upwards. You're praying and you pray upwards. As you're singing or listening to a worship song, would you like post yourselves looking up because physically looking up of this reminder that God that Christ is high and lifted up that Jesus is above everything because if this is true if this is true then then we know he's at work we know evil is defeated we know the powers will not win we know the future is secure and so we can look up so let's pray and I'm going to ask Alex to just come and play in the background a little bit as we, as we pray in this moment. And, um, you know, when we pray, what do you normally do when you pray? Where does your head go? Down. That's not bad because sometimes we need to kneel and come, like, before the Lord like this. And that's really, really vital. I'm not saying look up and not be reverent. I'm saying look up and recognize Whether you kneel or stand, whether you're on a mountain, he's always up. (laughs) He's always above us, right? So we're just going to pray in this moment, and I'm going to ask you to to do something counterintuitive to how we normally pray. One, keep your eyes open, and two, look up. Look up as we pray. Remember who Jesus is, where he is. He's equality with God. We worship God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We look up to Him in our worship. That's our posture. So let's do this right now. Eyes open, looking up, recognizing our God is high and lifted up, exalted. His glory fills this space fills our lives and our minds. His glory fills this earth, fills this universe. That's so big. That's so beautiful. That's so wonderful. Oh God, creator, 
God of Israel, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, God our Father, God our Lord and Savior, God the Holy Spirit, we look up to you. We recognize that you are above all things, that you are good, but you're also holy, that you are kind, but you're also powerful, that you are gracious, but you're also great. We look to you and we look up to you, recognizing who we are as we stand before you. God, flood our hearts and our minds. Help us to see who we really are in relationship to you. And even in this moment, we welcome that you would expose the ugliness in our hearts, anything we need to bring before you, anything unclean on our lips, on our minds, any unclean ambitions or desires or motivations. Expose them all, God. We're safe with you. Because you're good and you're holy. And we look to Jesus, your son. We recognize that you raised him up. He is in the divine throne room. He is also creator of all things. And no rule or authority or power or dominion is above him. He is above all things. And no name that we read in the paper or on the internet or with the word president or prime minister or economist or leader is bigger than Jesus. We worship you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. And because of Christ, we come to you. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.